John chapter 20. Let's pray together. Father, help us now as we turn our attention to your word that we would allow you to communicate with us through what you've written. Help me to be a vessel that is uh, fit and clear. We pray, Father, for fruitfulness through our time together for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. In order to enjoy anything on this earth, whether it be money, entertainment, accomplishment, things we've accumulated like our homes, we must have life. You can't enjoy these things when you're in the grave. It doesn't work that way. Accumulating good things without having the opportunity, or opportunity to enjoy them is hollow. There are promises from some of the good life or from a, a beer company of the high life. You'll remember those commercials back in the day, the high life, or pursuing a, a good work life or a great family life. All of these things um, are, can, can have some measure of, of pleasure here. But none of these assure our joy in the life after death. Just as we need physical life to enjoy things that are earthly, so also we need spiritual life to enjoy what is to come after life ends. And life ends... For everyone. Everyone has a date with death. This morning, in the short time that we have together, uh, our attention will be upon having the life we need. Having the life we need. We cannot gain this life that we need through our own pursuits. The life we need is a gift from God. And John chapter 20, as well as other passages in John chapter 20, will emphasize this for us. In order to have the life that we need, uh, we will consider what God has revealed through the Gospel of John. We want to notice some of the things that John has presented to us to prepare us for life. The Gospel of John covers for us a close-up look at the nature of of Jesus Christ. Through the course of John's record, we can see clear elements of Jesus' humanity. Jesus was clearly human. In John chapter 1, it makes it very clear that Jesus is the Word who became flesh. In John chapter 4, you'll see the Lord Jesus becoming weary and thirsty at, uh, as He encounters the woman at the well. In John chapter 11, you'll see the Lord Jesus being sympathetic at the death of Lazarus. Very, very much demonstrating his humanity in these scenes. In John chapter 19, he uttered these pain-stricken words, I thirst. We see his humanity in the Gospel of John. And yet, while we see his humanity on display, even more so, we see Jesus' divine nature being revealed through John's presentation. There are seven or eight, depending on what you want to call the, 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 the catch of fish that takes place after Jesus' resurrection, seven or eight miraculous signs revealing Jesus' divine nature. 
There are seven I am statements that Jesus tells us who he is. I am the bread of life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the light of the world. I am the resurrection and the life. All these statements revealing Jesus' true identity as God and Savior. Jesus is revealed as both God and man. And he is revealed to have power over natural elements. Again, here's just a list for you to consider. In chapter 2, Jesus turns the water into wine. You can't do that. I can't do that. Jesus can. In chapter 5, Jesus heals a man who was unable to walk. None of us have that power in us. I wish I did. I'd go down to the, uh, the children's ward in, at Boston Children's, and, and I, would, I, would, I would stay there until everyone would, was better, right? If I wish I could do it. I can't. Jesus can. Jesus has that ability. This is what the Gospel of John reveals, his power. Jesus, in John chapter 6, fed over 5,000 people with a very small amount of food because he has control, sovereign control, over natural elements. In John chapter 9, he heals a man who was born blind. God is just revealing to us his power. In John chapter 11, of course, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. This is just a survey of some of the argument John makes for who Jesus is and what Jesus came to do. One of the emphases of the book is the concept of life. Life. The word life is used 47 times in John's gospel. It has a a high occurrency rating. In John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, which is where I have you turned to for now, states the purpose of John's gospel. Listen to what he says. In John 20, beginning in verse 30. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. Not everything that Jesus did is recorded, but these things are recorded. And why are they recorded? They, they are recorded so we would know who He is, that He is the Christ, the Son of God. One of the things that you'll note in the process of, of this argument is that when Jesus claims to be the Son of God, He is claiming to be on equal footing with God. He is claiming to be God, which is why anytime Jesus claims to be the Son of God, the, the Pharisees would take up stones to stone Him. We must know who Jesus is. He is both man, 100%, and God, 100%. And the Gospel of John brings this to our attention. John wants us to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And the results of believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and what He has done in giving His life as a sacrifice for our sin results in this in verse 31. That by believing, you may have life in His name. That by believing, you may have life in his name. Now, let me ask you a question. Can anyone believe if they are not alive? Can we go to a tomb somewhere and say, all right, buddy, believe? You're going to get nothing there. The, the pirates have this right. Dead men tell no tales. Not possible. So he's asking the living 
to do something that will produce life. But I'm, but I'm already alive. Not that kind of life. There's a life that is enduring. There's a life that's temporary, and there's a life that endures. We all have the temporary life. Everyone does. Born in this world, into our nostrils, the breath of life. We, we've, we're, we're living souls. We're living beings. We are God-conscious. We are world-conscious. We are self-conscious. All of these things. This happens automatically upon birth. But not everyone has the life that Jesus is talking about, that John is presenting, that would be theirs through life in Jesus' name. So I want to see a glimpse of this emphasis for just a few minutes with you. Join with me, please, in turning to John chapter 1. First, we want to notice this. Jesus is and has life. Jesus is and has life. In John chapter 1, the author, the penman, the human penman, John, makes this very clear in verse 4 of the first chapter. He says in John 1.4, In Him, Jesus, was life. In Jesus was life. And the life was the light of men. So Jesus has life. That's pretty clear. You'll notice on the screen to my left and your right that in John chapter 14 and verse 6, John records Jesus' statement. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and what? The Life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the life. And in John chapter 5 and verse 26, which we'll look at again toward the end of our time together, it says this, For as the Father has life in Himself, so He has granted the Son also to have life in Himself. Jesus is and has the life that is being offered by the Apostle John. That's not just temporary life, that is eternal life. Secondly, we'll notice from John's argument something that comes up in a conversation between he and the disciples in John chapter 6. Jesus has the words of eternal life. Take a look at John chapter 6. Jesus has the words of eternal life. John chapter 6 is the place where the Lord Jesus makes bread abound and fish abound and feeds the 5,000 plus people. And then he has a conversation with the crowds about this. And the crowds were not too pleased with Jesus' conclusions about this event. And so we want to pick up that reading there at the end of John 6, beginning in verse 63. Jesus says, It is the Spirit who gives life The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray Him. And He said, This is why I told you that no one can come to Me unless it is granted Him by the Father. Very important word. Granted Him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples, his followers, turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You 
have the words of eternal life. Peter, given this glorious response from God to convey that we can cling on to, to whom shall we go? You have the words that grant eternal life. You have the words that eternal life is based upon. You have the words that that result in eternal life. Jesus is and has life. Jesus has the words of eternal life. And thirdly, in our consideration, Jesus gives life. Jesus gives life. We're in the same chapter, John chapter 6. Look please, beginning at verse 30. It says, So they said to Him, Then what sign do you do? Let's pause for a second. If you're not familiar with this, you need some enlightenment. Jesus just fed over 5,000 people with a small lunch. What sign do you do? (laughs) You're not paying attention. (laughs) Class. How many of you can take a few loaves and a couple fish and feed 5,000 people? The answer is none. So he already did the sign, but nonetheless, they're not satisfied. What sign do you have for us that we may believe you? And what work do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness every single day. Every every day, that's by implication. It is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven. But my father gives you the true bread, the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven, listen carefully, and gives life to the world. The bread of God is he who comes down from heaven, from God, and he gives life, real life, enduring life to the world. He gives life to the world. A little further, please. Verse 34, Then they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall never hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father has given me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. And this is the will of Him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that He has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life. And I will raise Him up on the last day. Jesus gives Life, And we're going to come back to that concept of eternal life in just a moment. A couple of passages of Scripture that are also in the Gospel of John. They'll be on the screen to my left and your right. John chapter 10 and verse 10, when Jesus is talking about the fact that he is the good shepherd. Listen to what he says in verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I come that they may have life, life, and have it abundantly. This is what Jesus offers. When when Jesus was about to raise Lazarus from the dead, and and he's conversing with his sisters, who are obviously and rightly grieving about the death of their their brother, Jesus is giving them comfort, and and Martha says, I know he'll he'll be raised in the last day. I understand all that. 
And Jesus, in the process of that, says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall or shall he live. Jesus gives life. He offers life to the world. These are written that you might have life as you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Come to him and he'll give you life. But the life that he offers is not just the life that you see here and now. This tangible, I can taste, I can see, I can feel, I can hear. My senses can be stimulated. I can enjoy this treasure and this treasure and this treasure. Uh, But sometimes those treasures kind of start to get a little bit mm, boring. And then I need to find something else. Not talking about that kind of life. That life you already have. Everybody's been blessed that way. That's alive still. We've experienced life and we can have pleasures. It's wonderful. Life isn't bad. Life is good. But Jesus wants to offer you something better than that life. Jesus gives eternal life. Take a look at John chapter 4. Just take a left, two two chapters, John chapter 4. We want to see Jesus' encounter with the woman at the well. In John chapter 4, beginning in verse 10, it says, Jesus answered her. Now, I, I ought to stop for a second and give you the context. Jesus has just walked into this place. He's tired. He sits down near a well. His disciples go to get something to eat. A woman, a Samaritan woman, comes up to the well, starts getting ready to, to get some water out of the well, and Jesus asks for a drink. So they start his conversation. So that's where we're at. Verse 10. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. What do you mean living water? Not a well. This this water's alive, isn't it? It has all kinds of creatures living in it, doesn't it? It's it's alive. You're going to drink it? You're going to feel better? What do you mean living water? The woman said, said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. Because I'm not talking about that water. I'm not talking about making sure that you're hydrated. You can get that water there. What do you need it for me for? I'm not talking about hydration. I'm talking about something else. The water that I'll give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to what? Eternal life. Eternal life. I, not everyone believes this. That's, that's up to you whether you believe this or not. The Bible reveals that our lives are eternal. That your soul is eternal. That there is more than your body And this present experience, there is more beyond the grave. And Jesus is offering to you life that endures beyond the grave. A life that's welling up unto eternal life, satisfaction and joy forevermore. This is the life that Jesus offers. In John chapter 17, Jesus is praying this prayer to the Father. He's already had the garden experience. He's already had the, the, um, the humbling experience of washing the disciples' feet. He's told them about the, 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 the Spirit 
uh, coming and all the things that are going on. In John chapter 17, he prays this prayer to the Father. He says, since you have given him, the Son of Man, authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all who have, uh, whom you have given him, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. So Jesus is essentially saying, reveal your glory in me and bring forth this eternal life that you've given to me to grant to those that come. Eternal life. Jesus gives this. Chapter 5 now. You're in John chapter 4. One chapter to your right. Last passage of Scripture for us this morning. John chapter 5. Incredible scene in John chapter 5. It's, it's breathtaking. Jesus goes into, the, into this area in Bethsaida. Or Bethesda, depending on how you want to pronounce it. It depends on which, which writing you get. Bethsaida, Bethesda. He goes into this place. There's a pool there. And the tradition is... Um, there's a, there's a time when the angels will come down and stir the water up. And if you can be the first one to get into that water, any of your infirmities will go away. So Jesus comes into this area, and there's this, this man who can't walk. And he's been, he's been dying to get into that pool first after the angels theoretically stir the waters. He's been dying to get into that pool first. And Jesus encounters him, and, and, and Jesus overcomes all of that tradition, the tradition of this stirring of the water. And he overcomes the tradition that this is on the Sabbath day. So there's a religious tradition and a pagan tradition all combined in this one scene. And Jesus tells the man, hey, pick up your bed and walk. Now that, if what happens next is the guy can't move, that would be super cruel, right? But when Jesus did that, the man sprung to his feet, and he picked up his bed. And there he is walking around the temple area. He's walking around this place. He's walking around healed. And the people, the, the religious people are like, what's up with you carrying your bed? We don't do that sort of thing on, the, on this religious day. What are you doing? That guy over there, this guy over there, he, he told me to get, pick up my bed and walk. And I can, I can walk, and this is, like, this is the best day of my life. Who is it? I don't know who it was. All I know is he told me to get up and walk, and I walked. That never happened before. This is the scene. It's like, as we look back on it, it's like, what, what are you people not understanding? So Jesus is now interacting with the religious people about this. He tells them, well, my father works, and I work. That made them pretty upset. What do you, what do you mean? What are you saying? Are you making yourself equal with the Father again? They pick up stones. Not, not a good day. But listen to what he says in verse 20. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing, and greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. For as the Father, listen, for as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has what? Eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed 
from death to life. He didn't say he raised someone from the grave in this context. He's telling you that if you don't already at this moment know who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, you are spiritually a dead man walking. And what he tells you is, in order to be a, a live man walking that has uh, the expectation of eternal salvation and expectation of joy forevermore with God, you must come and believe in the Father and the Son who, who, whom he has sent so you might have life. This text gives us a, a, a few no doubt, must understands. You get that? That's a great statement. No doubt must understands. Jesus is the judge. Jesus must be honored. And Jesus gives eternal life. So I want to ask you a question. Have you received from Jesus this life? In order to be able to enjoy God forever, you must have this life. This life only comes through the merciful and gracious giving of Jesus Christ. The avenue for knowing whether the life has been given to you is you must believe who He is and believe what He has done. So what has He done? He left the glory of heaven to become the Word incarnate. The Word in the flesh. God in the flesh. He was the God-man. He lived the life that we have failed to live. He lived in perfect obedience to God and the law of God. And then He willingly laid His life down as a sacrifice for all who would believe on Him for life. God raised Him up on the third day as a firstfruits of those who die united together with God through Jesus. This is what he's done. We've seen who he is. We try to see who he is. He's God and man. He's God in the flesh. And what he has done is he's laid his life down as a sacrifice to pay for my sin, to pay for your sin, come to him for life. This is what this baptism is all about. The three baptismal candidates have already believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. They have already received this life that will enable them to enjoy God forever. Baptism pictures their being united with Jesus. It pictures that their old life has been buried with Him. And that they have received new life from Him. It's only a picture. It's an external demonstration of an internal reality. As you watch this morning, you are witnessing their public proclamation of God's awesome work of granting to them eternal life. As you watch, be encouraged. Be encouraged at the picture that's being displayed of what God has already done in reality inside of them. And if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, be challenged. You too need this life 
this life that only Jesus can grant you. Come to him. You will have life. You'll have it abundantly. And you will then, when you come to Jesus, receive a life that will endure and you'll enjoy God forever. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this opportunity. Be glorified as we continue this service displaying your work. It is not our work. This is not just a religious ceremony. This is a celebration and a demonstration of the work you have already done spiritually. I pray, Father, for each baptismal candidate that you'd encourage them, that you'd encourage your church. And, Father, challenge anyone that has never trusted Jesus, that even today they might come to you through Jesus for life, that they would have it eternally. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.